Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with my fun-loving friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Yo, Irish. Hope you're doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. And oh, thank God. Sp- <laughs> no, I'm speaking- always worried about you. <laughs> well, you should be, actually. Anyway, so speaking of fun-loving, uh, you've described God as a trickster in a number of our previous episodes, and that notion is is really fascinating. So what is it about? And I, I'm... I'd, I'd like to really dig into this idea of God being a trickster. Okay. So where I first came across that, I remember I was in junior high, and there was a series that I just loved called Joseph Campbell's uh, The Power of Myth. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Ah, when I was a I'm, a, I'm in, I'm a total nerd. So I love that whole series, and it got me thinking in a completely different way. And one of the things he mentions is this common theme in religious mythologies of God as a trickster. And that blew my mind. And he tells this story that there's this African myth of God coming down to this village that's working a field. Half the village is on one side, half the village is on the other side. And God comes down and walks straight in between them. And then he turns around. When he turns around, he turns his hat. So his hat had one side was red and one side was blue. So when he walked through, those who saw God wearing a red hat saw God wearing a red hat. And when he turns around, he turns the hat as well. So those who saw red the first time still see red. And at the end of the day, the whole village gets together and they say, oh, we saw God. And they said, we did too. God wears a red hat. No, God wears a blue hat. And this huge fight erupts. And then God appears and they see, ah, half the hat is blue and half the hat is red. And they said, why did you do that? And God says, because I am a trickster God. I am the one who confuses you. And I just love that idea. And in all mythologies, there's this idea of the trickster. And the trickster is a rebel who's creative, but actually helps humanity in this backwards, upside down way that one wouldn't expect. And so there's all these mythologies of the trickster God. And the theme, shockingly, is in our Bible. And then when I was in the seminary and studying scripture, again, this theme of God as a trickster. Did um, you did you see it as a trickster? When- before seeing the Joseph Campbell uh, Power of Myth uh, series? No, I was only in junior high. Like, I always thought of God as this lawgiver, stern, right from wrong, okay, cut down okay. the middle, you know, clear cut, right, right, you know, not God as a trickster. So you had the God as a trickster idea in your head when you really started digging into the Bible in a big way. So you could see it from that perspective. You'd see right. things you probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Well, I probably would have seen it because the monks pointed it out so often. Do they say trickster too? No, they don't use the word trickster. Okay. The God who turns things upside down. Okay. I got it. Okay. And like, it's all in the Bible. Moses, 
The, the trickster there is Moses is this coward for the first half of his life who finds courage when he has to defend these women from being harassed. And then he, after that, out of love, he fell in love with this one. He becomes this great courageous figure. And Moses is a stutter and he keeps stuttering. And he ends up being the one who speaks for God. So the coward and the stutter is the great one who leads and is courageous and speaks for God. God chooses these upside down ways. Or the best of all is Jacob. Now, Jacob's name means supplanter. So you could translate that as trickster. And I love it because Jacob... Jacob has this dream and Jacob is very irreligious as a young man. And he has this dream of God and God says, Jacob, I'll take you up on this bet because I'm a better trickster than you are. And Jacob's whole life is getting tricked into becoming a holy man of falling in love, of caring, of less thinking about himself. And in the end, Jacob does become a holy man, but he he who is the trickster is outtricked by God. Or even Mary's Magnificat, when the Virgin Mary says this prayer after the angel, and she celebrates a God who constantly turns the world upside down, who works in unexpected, backwards ways. And God always says, I mean, you have these repeated lines such as, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has in store for us. And what God has in store for us is nothing that works in straight lines or is logical. Like you were talking about the Virgin Mary, when the angel comes to her and says, you are going to be with child, you know. Said, how, how can that be? I've never yeah. known man. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. the whole trickster thing and, and Moses being placed in situations where he overcomes, he has to overcome his cowardice, you know, right. I mean, the least likely a coward with a stuttering problem becomes yep. the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. I love it. Yeah. God loves to pull these upside down tricks. And like, so when you're when I was studying this in the seminary, you know, I just always had to ask myself, why does God love to play the trickster? You know, everybody's notion of God is the stern judge, but I also like God, the trickster and why? And I think it's, this is my theory, it's one, to humble human arrogance. We always think we can predict and know everything, but God is this wild card. Secondly, let's face it, it's fun. <laughs> Just love to yank people's chain. Well, I know you do. I You're, do. You, you love a, a good-natured prank. Oh, I am like God. Thank yes, you. you are. You are very God-like in that way. I know that about you, Father Len. And thirdly... Like just the trickster God, it speaks about the mystery of God, that God is this mystery. And we think God has to work according to our logic. And that's when we get tricks. Yeah, it's, it, it's like, how would we solve this problem? Or how would we uh, uh, overcome this obstacle? Some Which is just so crazy, because like, how would we do this? There's no way religion can ever explain a God who is infinite, who is infinite love, who has infinite possibilities. So we always see, see possibilities as, you know, two options. Maybe God has many options. Right. So the mystery of God means we can never truly understand the infinite. And the, the psychologist Jung, he said, and I like this quote, quote, religion is a defense system against a religious experience. 
So I'm just going to repeat that because it's so profound. Religion is a defense system against a religious experience. And what he's trying to say is religion tries to reduce the mystery of God into concepts and categories, but in the end it will be futile because God can't be categorized. The transcendent can't be pinned down. I'm not saying religion is wrong, but theology will always be inadequate. So we're always going to get tricked. Well, Um, it's like we did a recent episode about accurately interpreting the Bible and understanding the Bible. And we always, you know, you pointed out that we always come back to our own life experiences, our own perspective, our own human something. And that's why we always get it wrong because, you know, we're, we're dealing with our own bias that blinds us to what possibilities really are, what could be happening, what God might be doing. We're just not open to it. Just, when I say that, I have to warn, like, I'm not saying God is a liar because, you know, the <laughs> prophet Jeremiah, he gets tricked by God, too. And he says, you duped me. You tricked me. <laughs> but it doesn't mean like like Jeremiah. Sometimes you feel like God has lied. It's not that God has lied. We just narrowed the possibilities. I mean, I love that line from St. Paul to Titus where he says refers to God as the God who does not lie. And I like that because like of the other religious mythologies, uh, the trickster God lies. We'd say the, the God of the Bible, he doesn't lie. He never lies, but he always tricks. The devil always lies, but God is truth. But the truth can be very, very tricky. But what I do yep. like about other mythologies is that it shows the need for a trickster, especially in creation. Like there's this theme that God often sends the trickster to help creation become fulfilled, which is a really strange thought. And I'll I'll give you one story because I like this one. This is always one of my favorites. Think of this in terms of creation. So there's this Native American myth about the raven. And the raven or the coyote are always tricksters. So their mythology says that when God created the world, he gave a gift to every single creature. But for creation to work, everybody's got to offer their gift. So what happens, of course, is seagull is the most selfish of all the birds. You know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised. I, 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 I know I know it's one of the dirtiest of all the birds. They supposedly carry around zillions of diseases. You don't want to get too close to a seagull. Oh, I didn't know that. But anyhow, so uh, seagull refused to share his gift. And Siegel's gift was light. And the problem is with no light, Bear didn't know when to wake up. The elk were getting their antlers caught in the woods. So all them animals go to Raven and they say to Raven, you've got to talk to Siegel. You've got to get Siegel to give up his gift. Creation won't work otherwise. And so Raven flies over to seagull and seagull knows raven's a trickster so he guards the light and raven says you know stark raven says oh no i'm not interested in the light and when he's talking to seagull he takes a thorn and pushes it into seagull's foot and he cries out in pain and raven says what's wrong what's wrong he says oh there's a thorn in my foot and so raven says well let me get it out so i think i know where this is going takes his 
takes a thorn and pushes it even farther in and Seagull cries and Raven says, there's just, there's not a lot of light. I, I can't quite see what I'm doing. Just <laughs> let out a little bit of light so I can see and still doesn't work. Pushes it in just to make it more painful. And says, <laughs> you know, you're going to have to let out all the light if I'm going to take the thorn out. And so Seagull releases all the light and uh, Raven takes the thorn out. And that's why seagulls stand on one foot today. So I, I just <laughs> I love, like it. I but love it. I love the idea that, wow, for all creation to work, every, you know, everybody has to give their gifts. In creation, the trickster helped creation come about. And the odd part is not only do you have this mythology of the trickster building creation, you have the opposite where the trickster is the one who's going to come at the end. So that's Coyote. Coyote's also a trickster. Like Coyote's the one who stole fire and made the stars. He kicked over a bucket of paint and gave color to the world. But the Nez Pierce say that the Great Spirit, when the Great Spirit created the world, it was Coyote who helped form the world. And then Coyote disappeared. And when the end of the world comes, the Great Spirit will come again as Coyote. I love that, that the great spirit will come as the trickster. So coyote represents a trickster, you know, this wild side that order can never contain. So to be coyote is to be unpopular and somewhat feared and hated. Coyote plays the fool. Coyote makes society deal with problems that they don't want to deal with, but would be better off if you just simply dealt with it. So coyote, although kind of a fool he's kind of this model of the prophetic christian so in some ways all of us not just god but all of us have to be a trickster um so you need coyote and even jung said that there's this great need for tricksters in our life so he talked about the figure of the trickster as this archetypal character as one of the most ancient archetypal figures in religion And Christ is the ultimate trickster figure, the fool that shows how a really foolish world, what truth is. So the trickster always gives ambiguity. And we've gotten very, very uncomfortable with ambiguity. We crave clarity. We demand that things be either horizontal or vertical, hot or cold, black or white, right or wrong, good or bad. But maybe God doesn't work in such clear lines. Well, speaking of not clear lines, go back to uh, Christ as a fool or the trickster as a fool. Uh, what what do you mean there exactly? Oh, well, okay. Think about this. Christ was regarded as a fool, uh, especially by the Pharisees. In fact, at one point in the Bible, they say he's mad. He's gone out of his mind. Christ is this fool. And even Christ's parables, they always have this twist in the normal way of thinking about morality or theology. That's why they're called parables, because it starts down one road and it flips. So in many of the gospel stories, Jesus flips everything upside down. Like the born spirit are the ones who really are blessed. It's the meek are the ones who are going to win. They're the ones that are aggressive power hunger types. They're actually going to lose all power or the parable about the love as a prodigal father. You know, 
forgives what society would never allow and you know offenses that should say yeah irish i swear to god i will never forgive you never the father so generous with his forgiveness and mercy he doesn't even wait for the son to apologize he doesn't even wait for the son to walk home as soon as he sees the son has turned he runs to the son and offers forgiveness offers to forgive him because the son actually if you read the story um accused his father of being that you're dead to me i just want your money and then misspent the money in every possible wrong way the father doesn't care about any of that he's just generous in his love and forgiveness at the slightest hint of the son turning to the father the father immediately runs and is right there the sower who is so foolishly generous but gets this crazy abundant harvest. The Pharisees hate Christ because he seems so foolish and they are deadly serious. And even uh, at the crucifixion, he's dressed up in a purple robe and given a scepter at his death. So they're dressing up this beaten, bruised figure as a king. And they parade him as a clown to the crowd. His foolish, his teachings are foolish. He's dressed up as a clown before he dies and mocked. And what I'm saying is that the church needs to reclaim the role of Christ, of being the trickster that ter- constantly turns the status quo upside down. Does, that, it, does it, that make sense? Yeah, what makes sense really is that uh, what appears foolish to us is really not foolish it's truth it's 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 like christ dying it's like you said forgiving something that's unforgivable like you know some of christ's last words are forgive them for they know not what they do these people who unexpected yeah right they've hung him on a cross he's dying they've nailed him to this cross and he's he's announcing you know to his father forgive them for they know not what they do i mean that's that that sounds very foolish And not only that, but like once you study the Bible for 10,000, we have 10,000 years of stories that God is a trickster. And even to this day, people's theology is that God works in clear lines. But the prophets, the patriarchs, they're all tricksters. As I said, Jacob, his name means trickster. And so I love in the Bible, where in the Bible, oh, call out to, oh, God of Jacob. You know, you're calling out for a God who's going to turn your world upside down. And Jacob's mother, Rebecca, I love that story. She's a trickster who one way or another will be fulfilling God's vision to her. But she's a trickster. Or even the genealogy of Christ, when uh, the genealogy is read in the Bible, it's a story of women who were tricksters. Ruth, her story is a story of a trickster who turns everything upside down. Rebecca, Tamar, even the Virgin Mary, they're tricksters of a trickster God, that nothing happens the way you would expect. And yet, you know, year after year, even to this day, people expect God to work according to their lines. And, and like, how many stories do you need that God is a trickster? Yeah. And even like there is this tradition in Catholicism called the Feast of Fools. And it happened after Christmas. It doesn't ex- exist anymore, but it was after Christmas. And it, the Feast of Fools, uh, a young boy would be elected as a bishop and they'd dress him up as a bishop and prayed him around and people would dance in churches. And this is the odd part. It was to mock kind of the ridiculous pomposity of the clergy. <laughs> and they, 
isn't that amazing? And then they had, if you can't laugh at yourself, I love, I love that. Or they also had this thing called the feast of the ass and it partly commemorated the flight into Egypt. But there are some surviving manuscripts that describe this bizarre mass that would happen that after the introit and after the curia and after the Gloria, at each part of the mass, people, instead of saying amen, would bray like an ass. Um, and at the end of mass, instead of the priest saying the mass is ended, go in peace, he would bray three times. Oh, wait a minute. Something's burning. Hold on. Oh. What? You left but, you. What was burning? Oh, my lunch. I had Your lunch. spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge of doing these things on Zoom. All right. Well, um, but anyhow, sorry about that. You but, weren't but, supposed but, to have geez. spaghetti today, Father Land. I know, just, I think, once again, a trickster god. Okay, leaving my burnt spaghetti behind, let's return to the Feast of the Ass. This happened in France, and so we're really kind of far removed from that ridiculousness. But are we? You know, shouldn't we be able to mock the ridiculous parts of religion? No, I, I think the trickster in religion, in all honesty, has been banished from the church, and it moved into the secular world into people like Jonathan Swift and his writings. But like the trickster... No, I'm not familiar with Jonathan Swift. Oh, he was this Irish writer who would always make these exaggerated claims just so that you would see the ridiculousness of current society. I got you. And that's what like the Feast of Ass and the Feast of Fools would do. Because I think we get so trapped in our orthodoxy that we have an answer for everything and yeah, it gives people the surety that, oh yeah, I have all the answers, but that's a really kind of dangerous in some ways. Somebody dies and I can tell you why. And you get this pious little answer. Why? If somebody's born deformed, you get a pious little answer. Why? If somebody gets a horrible disease, oh, I can tell you why you get, you know, have that. And you have this neat little answer for everything. But the answer discredits human suffering that's involved and actually discredits compassion. And so, yeah, you need the trickster. Uh, There's a need to get in touch with this quality of God that is the trickster. So, yeah, Isaiah, I like this. Isaiah writes that God's ways are far beyond ours, that God's ways are, are light and dark, and we can't completely understand God's ways. And the heart of Any civilization is its spirituality. And I think there's this real danger of deadly serious orthodoxy that boxes God into neat little answers. And the boxed idea uh, is what God has in store for us. Well, this, this goes back to our original inspiration for the name of this podcast, Wrestling with God. You know, if we always think, oh, yeah, I know exactly what God means there. I know exactly what's going on. Instead of questioning, questioning, questioning and going deeper and that kind of thing. I think that's one of the things you're saying here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and even like the word silly, it's all it's from the old English silac, which means blessed. So like sometimes what we call silly or crazy our ancestors called blessed i just like the contrast there that maybe we should always be wrestling and reassessing things it's funny when we when we label somebody silly you know 
It probably just means that what we think they're doing isn't right or they don't know what they're talking about or whatever without really examining it. I mean, that's what you're saying because it it conflicts with, you know, what we think is the right thing to do or the right kind of thinking. You know, we immediately, that's silly, that's stupid. You know, and like, look at look at all the people we called fools and silly, like Saint Francis. Everybody loves the statue of Saint Francis in their garden. Who doesn't love Saint Francis? But at the time of Saint Francis, people thought he was so foolish they used to throw rocks at him because why would anybody give up comfort and wealth to become a poor beggar? Or Dorothy Day, or Catherine Doherty. In fact, they all called themselves fools for Christ because the rest of society were calling them silly and goofy. Because they were challenging some kind of orthodoxy. Yeah. Why, like St. Francis, why would you give up comfort and wealth? Why would Dorothy Day? Why would Mother Teresa? So I love the fact that they called themselves fools for Christ. It just shows that we haven't lost our tricksters yet. That God sends us saints as tricksters to turn our values upside down. So yeah, God still sends us these holy fools, like the holy fool and the trickster are kind of the same thing. And so like, I I know this sounds strange. I consider the saints in line with the trickster. Well, not all saints, but you know, St. Francis and uh, saints like that who turn everything upside down. And the odd part is that that actually is kind of a religious vocation. Even among Native American spiritualities, you have this idea of the sacred clowns. So the sacred clowns are to give insights by shattering some preconceived concepts. So Pecos, which has one of the largest pueblos that recently went extinct, there's this tradition that survives among the Hopi of sacred clowns, where the clowns once a year have permission to mock anything. Mock their own religion, mock their leaders, mock the way white people look at them. Or the Zuni, their clowns are called the black and white clowns. And they're generally almost almost naked. And they paint their bodies black and white. And they have two horns on the top of their head and it's topped off with corn husks. And the black and white symbolizes the Milky Way. Because these clowns are considered shaman who travel the Milky Way to give perspective. Because the way the world looks close up is different from the from the broad perspective of um, Milky Way. Uh, we have a tiny little perspective, and so the clowns are to give a different perspective to people and, and do it through joking and clowning around and having us reassess ourselves. And I like how the trickster helps us see the world differently. So these clowns have permission to make fun of anything and everything, and they do it. They make fun of religion and politics. And the Zunis, they consider the moon the symbol of the mystery of God that was totally unavailable. So think about what it meant for the Zuni to have you know the white man walking on the moon. So for years, the clowns would mock spaceships and technology And it was a way to limber up kind of this rigor mortis that had infected the people. They can never really conquer mystery. You can never name the unnameable God. Or in the 1980s, the the governor there made some political correct decisions that kind of debased the uniqueness of the Zunis. And he was really just pandering to Indian votes. 
So the black and white clowns attack the problem and they mock the governor. Or if a bishop is a little too arrogant and seems to be enamored with money, the clowns would mock and mimic a bishop as a way of just kind of bringing a perspective back to the church. So the trickster has a kind of a sacred role um, to kind of wake up society. That's what I think the saints do. And it's not done out of cruelty. A gift is exchanged in this process. We're, we're able to laugh at ourselves and see the world from a different perspective. So I don't think we should lose the ability of the tricksters. So the tricksters and the God of the tricksters allows us to see hypocrisy and foolishness and sometimes our own rigor mortis. My dad was a historian. So I grew up with the story of little big man and black elk. And they had these, the Indians had this thing called the contraries and you didn't want to be a contrary, but sometimes people would live their uh, short period of the time as a contrary. So they would do everything backwards. They would say goodbye when they meant to say hello. <laughs> and uh, I know they were used as these elements to shock the people into a new way of understanding, to kind of explode the concepts that are there, that they were getting trapped in. And I just always thought that was really kind of interesting that, wow, maybe God chooses some people to be contrary because like, even as a priest, we get so used to celebrating the parts of a rite that you forget how provocative they can be. And even like the prophets of Israel, they're contraries. They're holy clowns. St. Teresa, St. Teresa of Lisieux, St. Francis, St. Catherine. In one sense, all kind of holy fools that were contraries. You have that whole tradition in Native American and Catholicism, even Russian Orthodox. Like there's this great story of St. Nicholas and Ivan the Terrible. St. Nicholas was a holy fool that kept ruthless power in check. So there's a story of Ivan the Terrible. Now, he had a terrible childhood that was filled with murder. So he learned to keep power by being ruthless. That's not an excuse, but just saying he was a terrible person. And Ivan comes to the city to steal the bells of the church and brutalize the people. And of course, Ivan wanted to portray himself as a very orthodox figure, leader. And there's this Russian custom to offer salt and bread at the cathedral. And so it was during Lent and Ivan the Terrible arrives and St. Nicholas goes hopping up to him on this hobby horse, which just looks <laughs> ridiculous, right? And goes up to Ivan the Terrible, this ruthless killer, and says to him, eat bread and salt, not human flesh. And he offers him a tray of meat. And he says, eat. Well, it's Lent. You can't be eating meat. So, of course, Ivan the Terrible says no. And Nicholas says, what you're doing is worse than eating meat. You're eating up human beings. And Ivan didn't have the nerve to kill the, the holy fool. Now, I just think that's kind of amazing. So the holy fool, like Nicholas, challenged kind of the way we see the world. Or St. Basil, this Russian church, St. Basil is named after him. He actually was a Russian holy fool as well. And he would invite the ridicule and contempt in this outlandish behavior when he thought people were just 
conforming to society rather than the truth. And he used to wander around the streets of Moscow half naked and whether in snow and sun, sunshine, he would start praying as if he was in a church and just bear witness to the audacious generosity. Of bear Christ. witness. Bear witness. He would bear <laughs> witness. But like it was, it was so provocative because he would throw stones at the houses of people that were making these false shows of piety. And he would kiss the pavement outside the houses of ill repute and pray for them. Like it was just such opposites. Or one of my favorite stories is this archbishop of the Russian church in San Francisco. Like he died in 1960. A friend and I loved him make jokes about him because what a strange character. He never combed his hair. He rarely wore shoes. He loved playing with children and miracles just poured out of this guy. He never really wanted to do anything that pleased people, but just please God. And he was so like unconventional that when a plane would fly over the sky, he would start waving to the plane. <laughs> I still remember I, I said he just was <laughs> joyful. But the church loved him there because his theology was based on joy and love and not the stern image. And sometimes I think Christianity worships a bleached out, hard, immovable Christ who's just passionless. Christ is the ultimate holy fool. Christ is the trickster God. His parables show that there's these shocking jokes against bloodless religion. Everything he does is done in unexpected ways. Christ is the trickster. He destroys our enemies by making them our brothers and sisters. That's a great trick. Yeah. He destroys death by welcoming death. You know, that was unexpected. Catholicism really is a trickster religion. I mean, we started, like, we honor Mary, the virgin mother. Virgin mother. It's just a, a phrase that speaks about a trickster God who never works according to our preconceived idea. Yeah, what is a virgin mother? Yeah. I know, like, could you get more of a hint that <laughs> we worship a trickster God? And the tricksters, Christ is trying to usher in us to something new and unexpected, but always consistent with the past. That takes a trip. So let's say, well, God is the trickster who's always overturning our ways. So, yeah, we worship a trickster God. You know, one of the things that uh, you talked about was the clowns and, and mocking things. And uh, how did you say this? You said something about, shoot, I think you were talking about mass and uh, how we kind of lose sight of some of the stuff that happens oh, in mass. Yeah, and... you, don't, you don't want one, one that, sorry, you want one that always amazes me. You know, in mass, four times we'll say, the Lord be with you. And Except if you study the phrase, the Lord be with you, where it comes from and how it's used. Every time in the Bible, the phrase, the Lord be with you, is mentioned, it always overturns somebody's life. So every time, no, seriously. <laughs> the trick is you, coming. Yeah, the trick is about to happen. Yeah. Like it ha Jacob gets the Lord be with you. And the next day he falls deeply in love and the trickster is tricked. So every time the phrase, the Lord be with you, happens... It means your world is about to be turned upside down. And people think it's just this gentle, nice greeting. It's, it's a trick greeting. 
I guess here's what I was trying to get back to is that the clowns, the tricksters in our lives really do help us because I think one of the things that happens to all of us, and it happens like, for instance, I noticed this in Mass. You know, our Catholic Mass is the same exact ritual every week. I mean, for it, thousands it, of years. For thousands in every of parts years. Of the world. Yeah. And, and it's become such a habit. I think habits have a way of kind of deadening uh, the impressions uh, and, and causing the experience of even the holiest of things to become kind of superficial or lost because we just do them over and over and over. And we almost have to have something to kind of shake us up and go, you know what's really happening here? You might have forgotten we've been doing this all these years, but this is really something, you know? We're actually receiving the body and blood of Christ. Um, I mean, it, 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 we need this stuff, really. Yeah, and the problem I have, like when you mention that, the solution is not to get more jazzy with the Mass. I mean, I told you the story of um, when I was at the pastor of St. Mark's, uh, we won this award for uh, one of the great hundred places in the United States to worship, and I was talking to this other Protestant mega church pastor and he says you catholics are so lucky you've been doing the same thing for two thousand years he says every week i have to come up with more camels more sparklers more (laughs) you know more showstoppers and in a way uh that kind of high entertainment it actually also dulls you into thinking well i'm supposed to be entertained rather than overturned and when people use the word tradition, sometimes they mean tradition means you can't change anything. But what if tradition is the tradition of the trickster God, where we realize that, oh, wow, uh, the Lord be with you. The Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ is supposed to completely change your world. Like how many Catholics know when you hear the phrase, the Lord be with you, it's actually a prayer that God turn your world upside down. Maybe the teachings of Christ are supposed to completely turn your world upside down. Not asking for more entertainment, but actually allowing the ritual and the gospel to overturn our lives. Well, speaking of allowing a ritual and the gospel to overturn our lives, you mentioned the Eucharist or Holy Communion. Uh, Now, that's something that happens in every Catholic Mass, no matter where you are. And I think it's one of the best examples of a tradition introduced by a trickster God to overturn our lives and change our world. Uh, it, it began the night before Jesus is crucified. He brings his 12 apostles together for dinner and uh, announces that he's going to die. And that's pretty shocking. And then while they're eating, he takes an ordinary loaf of bread. He breaks it into pieces, giving the pieces to his disciples. And he says, this is my body, which will be given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he raises a goblet of wine and he says, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus tells his apostles that his body and blood are present in ordinary bread and wine, and it's the food they need for their souls. That's that's a pretty amazing trick and seemingly a very foolish notion. It's about as foolish as the great, powerful God being born into poverty. Exactly. I mean, if that doesn't really 
make your point about the trickster god. And I just hope that this episode has caused people to kind of look at some of these foolish notions and things that happen in their lives and go, is that really foolish or is there something there? Is the trickster God trying to help me see what is real and what is true? I also hope people not only start worshiping the trickster God, but also like St. Francis become holy fools for God. I love that. Well, Father Len, uh, it'll be interesting to see what people have to say about this episode. We would love to hear your comments and questions, and it's really easy to get those to us. You just head over to our website, and that's www.gshow.com, www.gshow.com, and you'll find a little questions button there. You click on the questions button, and you have all kinds of ways to get stuff to us, texting, voicemail, email, whatever. And if you're enjoying the Wrestling With God show, uh, please share your favorite episodes with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people discover us. And we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, purpose, and a little trickster in our lives. Thanks for listening. See you next time.